on your part. All right, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things track and field related on trackandfield.com, including Gill Athletics equipment, which is so good for what we're actually going to talk about today. Um, not to give into any spoilers, but I have uh, Mike Cunningham, who is a Gill Athletics man, guru, podcasters. In fact, dear listener, you can't see us right now, but we both have microphones. We both have setups we actually look really legit. And so I think it's kind of fun to be talking to somebody that has has done tons of interviews and I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm supposed to be talking about the sponsor, but I'm really excited to have Mike with me right now. But On Track and Field, On Track and Field does work with all coaches throughout the nation, in fact, the world. And I've been working very closely with them. They're a sponsor of this podcast. I'm a head coach as well. And I buy the best of the best for my athletes, including things like pole vault poles, pole vault pits, hurdles, Gill Fusion 10 blocks. I have two sets. It was worth fundraising for those suckers, which were 350 and each, and it was worth it. And I'm, by the way, I'm going to ask Mike why the heck things are so expensive. So he's going to break it down for all of us. So if you're a coach, if you're an athlete, if you're a fan of track and field, this is the place to be. So with me, without further ado, is Mike Cunningham with Gill Athletics, who also has a podcast that you need to be listening to because it's the exact opposite of mine. Mine's a short conversation. His is the Joe Rogan experience of track and field. So it's great to have him with with me. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. Oh man, thank you. Uh, two things. One, thanks for being a customer, JT. I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get to do the things I do without that. So I appreciate that. And shout out to your sponsor on track, you know, uh, one of our longtime dealers of our equipment. And again, we're not where we are today without guys and gals like on track who do an amazing job. Their sales team is first class, uh, love what they do and that they continue to do serving coaches around this country and around the world. So uh, shout out to them for uh, stepping up and being a good sponsor of your great podcast here. Do you hear that, Steve Ringold, CEO of On Track and Field? It sounds like Mike's endorsing a raise for Coach Ayers. Just throwing it out there. Um, He'll probably edit this out as well. So without further ado, you're an interesting guest because you do something that most guests, most podcasters aren't able to even ask. And that is, I will have a coach or an athlete or somebody related to track and field, and I'll ask them for their wisdom. But you, and I'm sure you have tons of wisdom, but I'm going to ask, you're the recipient of that wisdom. You listen to stories, you listen to advice, you listen to lots of things through your podcast. What are some of the stories or what are some of the kind of nuggets of wisdom that you've acquired over the years by just listening and asking good questions? What's something that you can kind of like give us a cliff note version of your entire podcast, 146 episodes worth? What's something that, wow, that is really fascinating and everybody should be aware of this. Yeah, I'm pretty humbled to serve in this area, you know, to be able to listen to coaches give their entire journey. And, you know, it it started off with the goal of uplifting and honoring people who choose this amazing profession of coaching, uh, something I had a passion for as being a former college coach and high school coach myself. So to be able to talk with coaches literally from around the world, but you know, majorly here in the uh, United States and at all levels, high school, club, college, professional. Uh, it, it's really, it's really amazing. You get to hear, you know, guys and gals that are at the tippy top. We were talking before we hit record, you know, Mouse Holloway just won two uh, national titles this outdoor season, won one indoor. Who, 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 most coaches aren't going to win three titles in their whole career, by the way. And he just did it in, in one year. <laughs> uh, but coaches like him who you think like, oh, he's on the mountaintop. He probably was always on the mountaintop. 
And then to hear where he started humbly in Columbus, Ohio, as a student and a student athlete, uh, went to junior college and then worked his way through coaching high school and then got on as an assistant at Florida and then worked up to be the, I believe, the men's head coach and then the director. I mean, he didn't start with the golden spoon or whatever <laughs> that term in his mouth. He worked from the bottom, just like the majority of coaches that we have. I, I'm just amazed at their origin story. I was, I was a comic book guy. And my favorite comic book was always the origin story. And that's the part that I just enjoy the absolute most from all of our guests that we have on the podcast. It's really fascinating to hear because it's easy to sit back and wonder, man, what did they, who do they know to get so far ahead? Or how do they get so lucky to acquire talent? And you know what? That may be true, but that's an excuse a lot of us give because we don't necessarily have that talent, that jealousy, that envy. It's gross. But yet what you're referring to is the 10,000 hours, you know, and you and I, even before we hit record, we're talking about Malcolm Gladwell and how much appreciation we have for his writings and his podcast. And you and I are now making side bets about who's going to get him as a, a guest first, right? If you're listening to this, it's on track and field, Malcolm, just throwing it out there. But here's the thing, like all the people you've been talking to, is it the 10,000 hours? Is it something they have to put their time into? Is it always the case? Yeah, I think so. You know, we we try to boil down things to their one part, right? We try to think of, you know, for sprinters, if it's if you aren't doing sprint training, well, then it doesn't matter. Well, it does take sprint training, of course, but it also does take conditioning, it does take weights, it does take uh mental side of it, right? It's no one thing is the one thing. So with coaches, uh, you know, we boil it down to its very simplest of oh, it's who you know gets you the job. And certainly I think relationships and a bulk of jobs, not just coaching jobs, but in jobs in general, uh, relationships matter. I, I truly do believe that. Uh, but it's not the only thing it's, you know, what have you done? What have you coached? I had Jamie Pollard, the uh, athletic director of Iowa state university on, that was a very interesting one. So here, here's a guy who is hiring the next head coach of Iowa state track and field one day. Uh, what do you look for coach? And he's like, well, you know what? You got to be good at your craft. That's like table stakes. You, you got to be good at coaching. Uh, he's like, but here are the other things that you need. And he did not say, he didn't necessarily talk about relationships. Uh, he talked about, you know, being a good communicator, working with other people, things like that. And that's what I think when I hear, you know, Karen Smith just retired from Ohio State, her story from, uh, you know, as an athlete, Michigan State, UNLV, Ohio State, how her journey came about. Um, just this week, we, uh, we just dropped Lakedra Stewart, girls co- uh, high school coach at McKinney High School. Here's someone that you think has it all, all the, all the things that you hear mythically about coaching, right? If you're a female, African-American, good athlete, you can name any job you want. Well, here, Lakidra was a great athlete, went to Texas A&M, African-American female, and struggled to find a job, to get a job. Not because of anything against her. It's just she had to work. She didn't necessarily know all the people, and she eventually got there, and now she's doing an amazing job, just formerly of Duncanville High School and now uh, McKinney High School. So these stories are not anyone, um, you know, being a great coach. There are plenty of great coaches that can't get to the next level, whatever you even consider the next level, by the way, I, I don't think because you're a SEC coach versus a um, middle school coach in Texas, I, I don't see any difference to be real frank with you, you know, where your two feet are, you're, you're creating positivity amongst young people right then and there, five kids on the team, 500 kids on the team, you are still making huge ripples. So it's all about wh- where do you want to be comfortable for your family and coaching uh, for a career, not just accolades or, you know, what football team is good on Saturday. It's really interesting you say that. And I'm really appreciative that you said that because, I mean, there's a few things that pop in my mind, like the grass is not always greener on the other side, right? It's greener where we water it. 
And yet, because we all have our issues and we have our things we have to overcome at every place we've ever been to. One interesting thing about your podcast is it's not just the NCAA one, division one, and it's not just the SEC schools. It's not, I mean, you have D3, NAIA, division two, you have athletes that are in those different conferences and divisions. There's something we can learn from all of them. It's like high school coach. A good high school coach is not looking to go to the next level. The next level actually is the highest level they can get. It might be at the high school. And the reason is they might have to do with pay, lifestyle, teaching. They don't have to travel. But yet there's also D3, D2 coaches that are perfectly happy where they're at. So in your experience, I mean, is that what you're seeing with all these guests that you've had? Are you seeing people that are completely content? where they're at and happy to build something there rather than I need to get to the next level. I need, cause to be quite frank, that's football coaching. That's what football coaches do. Maybe tracks different. Yeah. I, I think it, that's a great question. I, I would maybe say it's, it's 50, 50. Uh, and maybe that 50, 50 is split amongst, I don't want to necessarily say age. I'll say experience. Uh, when we first get into coaching, very big generalization here, we think we want to be at the next level, whatever the next level is. If we're D3, we want to be a D2, D2, we want to be a D1. By the way, once you get a D1, you then want to be power five, and then you're still not happy when you get power five. You want to get to the, the Florida's, Texas's, USC's, et cetera, you know, the, the top 10, if you will, uh, out there. Uh, and then there is the, the experience group that um, maybe has a relationship, maybe has a significant other, maybe has family, starts to understand that it's more than just you at that point. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that become much more important in your priority list at that point. Uh, and one of the kind of taboo things uh, that it comes up uh, high in your priority list, but we don't talk about it is pay. You know, we like to, we're, we're coaches are so selfless. I mean, just givers by the very definition of being a coach. And so there, there seems to be this like um, taboo talk about, well, I want to make more money. Well, aren't you passionate enough? Why aren't, it's not about the money. It's about the kids. It's like, yeah, that's great. You're completely right. You should, when you coach, you should be focusing on those kids. However, you have your own family and kids and uh, parents that you need and should be taken care of. And so um, I think the priority switches at some point. I don't know what that age is. Um, yeah, I coached for 10 years. My whole, I was that guy who uh, I wanted to get to the SEC. That's, I grew up down South. That was the number one conference. Uh, and then I got there. I love your grasses, not only greener on the other side, because I got there and boy, it was tough. <laughs> and I was mm -hmm. like, maybe this isn't what I should be doing. Um, and then subsequently got out of it. But uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of 50-50 on what, what people are searching for, what their priorities are. It just kind of rearranges it a little bit. It's interesting to hear you say that. And I'm, again, I've already said this, but I appreciate your perspective on that. And kind of in the same vein, You've been doing a lot of interviews. You've never really stopped. I mean, your podcast is very routine. I, I subscribe to it and I'm excited to listen to it. Who's something that, or someone rather, that's impressing you as of late? Like who's someone we should be paying attention to, or at least go back and listen to your podcast about? You know, one of my favorite ones was Karen Dennis, who just retired from Ohio State. Um, so when we do our podcast, a little bit like how you set yours up here, JT, we do a real cursory five-minute pre-interview, uh, and then we we go to it. And we're, we're just literally, you know, our podcast is just set up, you know, how'd you get into coaching? What was the first stop, second stop, third stop? It's a pretty flowing dynamic. You kind of, it's kind of, I always talk about the, uh, the bio page on your website for the coach. It's kind of that blown up. You know, we'll talk about mentors that were involved and then certain topics come up, leadership, captainship, things like that. Um, but 
we don't talk about how the transitions are going to happen. Well, they just happen in a conversation. And so interviewing Karen, she's talking about, you know, uh, what female athletes look like, what the female athletics look like back in the day. And there weren't very many options and we're going through that. And it was fascinating. She goes to UNLV. Uh, it's great. And then she says, you know, I, I know the transition is Ohio state. So I'm like, Oh, well, why did, you know, you're doing everything great at UNLV when in conference titles, why would you go to Ohio state? Now I asked that question because I thought it was a softball question. Because mm-hmm. I thought anybody who says, well, what do you mean by wishing to leave UNLV to go to Ohio State? First of all, she's up from she's from that area, so home. But two, can we assume that Ohio State's paying more than UNLV? Uh, she goes, <laughs> so I thought I was lobbing this off up. She goes, well, Mike, I left because I got fired. Oh. And, and I was <laughs> well, just like, I was like, well, wait a minute. She did not have to say that. Like, n- n- I didn't even know that. So she easily could have said, well, yeah, Mike, I wanted to go back home. And we'd have moved on to Ohio State. And so, you know, it kind of hit me. And I was just like, well, you know, well, Karen, you know, you, you didn't have to tell us that. And she's like, well, Mike, you know, it's important for young coaches to know that sometimes bad things happen uh, mm-hmm. and that, and that you can continue on that good things can, can still happen after that. It's not the end of the world. And yeah, I was fired. They uh, had other ideas of what he wanted to do with the program. And so I find myself without a job and luckily I knew someone uh, and had been doing well. And so got an assistance job at Ohio state and then, you know, goes on to win many, many titles. And now, uh, for her. I'm so happy for her that she gets to retire now and spend more time with family. Uh, so that one was just that, that humble, authentic humbleness that just, just blew me out of the water, man, really did. That's been my experience is interviewing all these people from Johan Blake to some of the best coaches in the world to coaches of the year for this year and the past years. And there's this humility. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a track and field thing. Maybe it's just an athletic thing, maybe because they like many of the coaches that you were just alluding to, they've been burned or they've seen significant failures that have humbled them uh, through the interviews that you've done. I know not all of them are humble. Um, has that been kind of your experience with, with what is the general statement that you can make about track and field coaches and athletes, the world that you and I live in, what's a general statement about the people that we interact with? Yeah, I'd say humble is the overall. Um, no, I can't think of anybody that's that's gone on there. I'm certainly not going to call them out. By oh yeah. Uh, this is a safe spot, Mike. Yeah. Go ahead yeah, yeah, and do yeah. That. The, yeah. The record button is pushed. So, oh, that's true. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, certainly there are, have been some younger coaches that I'm like, Oh man, like I can't wait to interview this person again in 10, 20 years. Uh, and allow some, you know, uh, hum- humbleness and empathy and other things come into the mix more and see where they're at. Uh, but overall, you know, the, the general consensus is these coaches are a super happy. They're in the sport they love. And B, uh, most of them are getting paid at least decently, not enough, but decently, and some making great money uh, that they're able to help their family. Um, that, that's that's really what it is. And, and a little bit, you know, you got me talking. This made me think of something. Um, sometimes a little bit of regret. Hmm. Uh, as track and field, you know, we're a 365 day a year, especially on the college side with a recruiting sport, which is not good for us, uh, family wise, social wise. And so a lot of coaches miss birthdays and um, anniversaries and vacations and things like that. And as I interview some, uh, older coaches that are getting close to retirement, uh, and ask them when we talk personally in their offices and stuff, there's a lot that have that regret in their eye that, you know, I need to make up for my significant other. He or she has missed all my, you know, I I didn't get to see my kids, uh, baseball games and things like that. And that's, that's what's really sad to me. I mean, that's, that's where I hope that young coaches hear things like this and interviews with others that they, uh, that they realize, man, don't, 
don't wait until you're 50 to start prioritizing friends and family. Uh, again, that priority list that has to be, that has to be higher than coaching. Honestly, no, no other profession in the world do we put above family and friends and faith in our own health. No one says, Oh, you're an accountant. Well, you should work 24 hours a day and right. <laughs> uh, miss baseball because you're doing accountant work. Uh, but coaching we, we do. We, we say, yeah, you, sorry, you, you should absolutely be on every trip and uh, make every recruiting or whatever, uh, even if it means missing your son's uh, football game or whatnot. Hmm. Yeah, it just make me feel real affirmed about being a high school coach right now. Like it, it's it's a tough it's a tough life sometimes. Well, let me let me transition to track and field equipment because mm-hmm. you are a salesman of, for Gill Athletics. And there's a lot of people. So when I, in fact, I'm not even sure you remember this, but you and I were going back and forth on Twitter talking about Gill Fusion 10 blocks. And I alluded to them earlier because I think they're great and they're really expensive and they're awesome. And I, my, my team has two sets. We put one on one side of the, the track, the one on the other, so we can use them for our dual meets and invitationals. Um, Gill sponsors the NCAAs. They sponsor a bunch of other different track meets and, but they don't do USAs, right? They don't do worlds. You could be wrong. Mm -hmm. So then you and I are sitting there and we're looking at the blocks. Is there an, is there a huge difference in why is Gil? And this is is not a fair question. I'm I'm just letting you know beforehand. Why is Gil not sponsoring all these things? They go, how come the Gil fusion tens are not being used by the greatest athletes in the world? The best yeah. blocks are not being utilized by the best athletes. And that matters. We're talking about like Grant Holloway and who's around 1281 and Eris Merritt. 1280 is the world record. Or Devin Allen just ran 1284. He almost got the world record. The blocks might have something to do with that or not. So I know what I know you're a salesman for them, but so what how can me as a spectator and a fan of this sport be satisfied with the equipment that some of these places are using? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm might be the worst salesman in the world. Cause I will, I'm, <laughs> I'm real good at talking people out of sales as well. Uh, I agree with you. I think the fusion F 10s are the best block in the world. We modeled them after, uh, those Seco blocks and Omega blocks that you see at world champs and, and Olympics every year, we'd get elite coaches calling us asking if they had a, a tall back hurdle and what we didn't, uh, have as tall as those. And so we went out and, and made it so that other coaches can enjoy, uh, what we think is a biomechanical advantage. Uh, but certainly not every coach likes those and that's quite okay. And that's why we have the, the normal size blocks as well. Uh, but to your question specifically about, you know, why the world's greatest athletes aren't, you know, and specifically you're talking about USA's and, um, uh, Olympic trials, et cetera, cause they're used at all the NCAA champs, uh, a, re- a lot of state, uh, championship meets as well. Uh, and then, um, once you get to the uh, world champs and Olympic level, uh, Omega has that sponsorship, I believe. And they use an equivalent block, a, a same height block. Uh, but USA's, we used to be the sponsors. When I first came on Gill in, in 06, uh, we were the USATF champion, um, USATF, uh, equipment sponsor. So we did all the indoor and outdoor championships as well as, uh, the 08 and 12 Olympic trials. So those blocks were used there. Uh, and then, uh, us and, uh, the other guys, we, we flip-flopped <laughs> for a lot of reasons that we won't go into here. Uh, but we became the NCAA sponsors, which is really what we coveted. Uh, no offense to USATF and, uh, the USA trials and things. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing meet. I mean, come on, I've been there millions of times and it's, mm-hmm. there's always something that boggles my mind, just like at NCAAs. Uh, but you know, our heart is with coaches and coaches at the USATF rarely have their own facilities. And so 
but NCAAs, all those coaches do have facilities. And so that's, that's what we always coveted was the NCAA sponsorship. So we're the NCAA official equipment sponsor and the NCAA uh, equipment sponsor, even though they don't have meets, but we're, you know, their partner for equipments and on that level as well. All right. So let me throw you a curveball. Why is track and field equipment so expensive, right? Now, yeah. I'm a coach. I have to spend this type of money on these things. I have to fundraise with track meets and sponsorships and lots of all the kids giving donations just so I can give them a chance to have a thousand dollar pole vault pole. That's carbon, carbon fiber. And it needs, you know, why is track and field equipment by large ridiculously expensive? Yeah. Um, you know, no defense from me, you know, um, equipment is expensive. Uh, there's many, many reasons, uh, that go into it, materials, shipping, things like that, that are just, um, if I told you what shipping costs have, uh, have gone from to where they are today, uh, overseas containers and things like that, you, you, you probably wouldn't believe me. And I'd say you're probably fair to not believe me because it's <laughs> ludicrous, uh, what has happened there. But, um, you know, it's all relative when you say it's expensive. Well, you know, a, a BMW is expensive. Uh, there are certainly is cheaper equipment out there, but you're, you're probably gonna just like a cheaper car have to buy more in a call it a 10, 20 year span, uh, mm -hmm. than if you outlay up front. But, um, you know, it's always amazing to me when I mainly work on new facility work here. So like Oregon's new track and new balances, new facility. And, um, there's a new facility going on, on an under armor's campus. We're doing that one as well. You know, the whole facility will cost, depending on the facility, 2 million to, you know, 169 million, like they did up in Hayward. Uh, our equipment is literally a, a rounding error on there. So it's expensive when you're buying one pole vault pole, hundred percent, a thousand dollars for a pole boy. And then almost as much as that for shipping, <laughs> uh, small joke there, but not far yeah. off. <laughs> uh, uh, but when you're doing an entire facility, you know, our equipment, what we're manufacturing is, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20% of the cost of the facility. You're paying way more in concrete. I always joke when I did University of Michigan's uh, indoor and out facility together, I said, if you got a 1% discount on your concrete, you'd pay for our stuff 10 times over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's way more concrete than <laughs> what our stuff is, but, uh, but no defense, man, it, it is expensive. I'm just so happy that in the majority of cases, it's not coming out of coach Ayer's wallet. It's coming out of a school budget and fundraising. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause that would be a whole different ball game. If it was coming out of a coach's wallet, if you actually had to open your wallet, I uh, boy, that'd be a tough one for me, but you know, we're dealing with tax money and things like that and donation money. And so, um, you know, I'm just here to serve and make it as, as comfortable as possible, but you're right, man. It's not uh we ain't selling Tic Tacs here. It's certainly more expensive than that. Well, with that said, completely fair statement. And I am going to spend 32 grand on a pole vault pit this bike for Gil. And I'm very excited about it. So sometimes when you spend the money, you take care of things a little differently and the kids do as well. And it's, I mean, track and field is a community event and we need to do this all together. Um, I can't thank you enough, Mike, for being on here. In fact, I feel like I can talk to you for three hours and maybe one day we'll do that. But I just wanted to kind of highlight, if you're not following Mike on social media, you need to, because he takes pictures of himself wearing a new college all the time, and he's always working out, and it literally cracks me up every single time I see it. I think it's fantastic. In fact, hey, it makes me want to send you stuff from I, I, my I, high school or my personal performance business. I was going to say, uh, those Rubico Hills, Jordan brands. Come on, man. I've had my eye. That looks good, <laughs> man. Come on. I, I can put it in the weight room for you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so fun that you even know about that. Um, just for being a sponsor or just for coming on the, on the podcast, our sponsor, RelayBatons.com and OnTrackAndField.com is going to send Mike a gift just for coming on here. And just he can now drink something out of a custom mug that's engraved. And it's going to be really cool. And I just really appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit of 
shop. Um, anybody listening to this podcast loves track and field. And so, um, any, where else can we follow? I know, uh, plug your podcast. If someone's not listening to it, they definitely need to. And I'll put a link on there when we broadcast this out to the world and where else can we follow you on social media? Yeah. Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just search Gill Athletics and that'll bring up our podcast. We're a weekly podcast, uh, similar to what you do here on the On Track and Field podcast, uh, where we just explore coaches' journeys, uplifting and honoring what they've done in this amazing profession and have lots of cool conversations. We don't talk X's and O's. That's what this podcast is for. Ernie Clark, what a great guest you just had. <laughs> yeah, You've had some great. amazing ones. Johan was amazing as well. So uh, for the podcast, uh, that's where you can find that and subscribe and you'll be notified every Monday when we uh, publish those podcasts. On social media, you know, I'm on a lot of platforms, but my main platform, as you know, JT is Twitter. Uh, uh, that is, I live and die. I, I just huge proponent of social media for a communication tool. And so, uh, that's where I spend the majority of my days. And I'm literally at Mike Cunningham, my name, uh, I was lucky enough to, to be able to get that, uh, um, tagline on there for Twitter. So that's the main place. And then, you know, I'm on Instagram, but I don't do a lot there to be real frank, but it's at Mike Cunningham, 1976. Um, and that's the, the main places. It's great. And even your Twitter handle, you changed it. I think a year ago it says, I love coaches. And yeah. so that's literally what it is. And so if you want to find something that is uplifting and good for the sport, it is Gill athletics and you do a great job. I can't affirm you enough. So I appreciate you coming on this podcast. And just to reiterate, this podcast is sponsored and brought to you by on track and And just stick around just for another second or two. And you can listen to our CEO, Steve, just kind of with his amazing voice and triceps, give you a idea about how to get in contact with on track and field where you can buy Gill Fusion 10s and you can buy some Gill um, accessories. And yes, they're expensive, but let's be honest, Mike, without, you know, sounding too, you know, he called it the BMW of track and field stuff. So it is, it's great. And I buy Gill through on track and field and you should as well. So without further ado, cue the voice. Thanks to Gill Athletics National Sales Manager Mike Cunningham for joining JT on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved and meet and competition legal relay batons, and water bottles and tumblers. Great for team branding, coaches' gifts, and part of your fundraising. And OnTrackAndField.com, your one-stop source for everything track and field and cross-country related. Whether you're a coach, athlete, or parent, OnTrack has everything you need for training and competition. And now you can save up to 15% when you use the word track talk at checkout and make sure to follow us on our socials at on track, the letter and field at on track and field on Twitter and the gram.